We're in the book of James, and the title of this message is going to be called Dead Faith. Doesn't that sound encouraging this morning? You know, it's spring break. We've got a lot of things to be thankful for. This message is going to be rough, though, so just get ready, you know. Uh, dead faith. And it's not my fault. It's James that wrote this stuff. You know what I'm saying? So we're going to go to James chapter 2, verse 14 through 26. We've been going verse by verse through the book of James, and it's pretty good stuff. I continue to get convicted. So here's what he says in verse 14. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, listen to James, son, he's just coming at you, that faith apart from works is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we believe, God, that your word is living and it's active, Lord, and it has the ability to transform. Lord, you know each one of us intimately. You know our hearts. You know the things that we're dealing with, the things that we're battling in our mind. And Lord, I trust that this word today, God, you're going to bring life to it. You will use it to convict us. Lord God, you'll use it maybe to even save somebody this morning. You'll use it to bring deliverance into somebody's heart. You'll use it, God, to cut something away in our lives that doesn't need to be there any longer. But I pray that you'd strengthen each listener, Lord, that their hearts and their minds would be open to hear. And Lord, you give me the words to speak according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a pretty good passage of Scripture, isn't it? And, uh, you know, I don't know what your testimony is or what your background is or what kind of church background you have, but here's, here's a lot of people's testimony in southeastern Kentucky, I think, to a large degree, because most of us, we grow up with some idea about God. If you ask us growing up, we'll say, well, yeah, we, we believe, I believe in God. And I was the same way. It was no different. Like, I, I grew up, I started out, like, in a Catholic church some, and, and we, I, I, I confessed to a priest one time. I learned how to say Hail Mary. I, I, knew, the, I knew the Lord's Prayer. I knew. I, I took my first communion. I almost became an altar boy, but didn't. You know what I'm saying? Maybe I wasn't quite there yet. I think they was like, I don't know if this dude's ready or not. You know what I'm saying? So, so it didn't happen. Uh, I went to a Presbyterian church a little bit growing up. I remember when I was about 12 years old, even though I, I, I believed in God, I even prayed sometimes, I remember being really deeply convicted and, and all my buddies going to the altar and praying. So you know what? I thought, hey, good, good, good 
idea here. Let's go to the altar and pray. Like, who wants to go to hell? That's what the guy said. We should probably go up and pray. You know what I'm saying? So I went up and prayed. But see, there was something that happened in my life. Even though I was going through all that, I believed in God. In my teenage years, my life was radically different than what the Bible would describe as a follower of Jesus. Anybody ever found themselves in that position? It's like, well, I believe in God. And, 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 and so even when I finally did get truly converted by the Spirit of God and my life was transformed at the age of 21, what I came to find was, was see, now it wasn't just about, because I can even remember like as a teenager, people coming up to me like a couple of times and talking to me about Jesus, you know, and I'd be sitting there smoking a doobie saying, buddy, we believe in God, it's all good. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's and that's you know we laugh about that, but that's the reality, isn't it? And then so and then so I get saved. My life is radically transformed. I have a I have an actual experience and an encounter with a living God and the power of the Holy Spirit and His Word gets in my heart, changes everything about me. And I go to some of my buddies. I remember I'm I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to some of my buddies. And I kid you not, they're in they're in a house. And, and I'm, I'm led by the Spirit to do this. My heart's pounding out of my chest. I start sharing Jesus with them about how my life has been changed and, and, and how, how He's real and this and that. And they're sitting there doing drugs in front of me. And after I get done giving this spill, you can tell they're freaked out. They're probably a little bit convicted. The only response they got is, man, you, we're saved. And, I, and, I, and that, actually, that just caused the Holy Spirit to rise up in me even more powerfully. Because basically, then the Lord gave me this thing, like, if you're genuinely saved, like, you don't, we don't have enough evidence to convict us of being saved, boys. Like, our lives have not represented anything that looks even remotely close to Jesus Christ. Like, we've been going in the opposite direction. And I think sometimes, the, the way that we present the gospel, because here's the thing, the gospel is, is easy, isn't it? We come to Jesus in faith and we're saved by grace through faith, not of works lest any man should boast. That's, that's hard to understand sometimes. And in churches, I think oftentimes we like to compromise because we want more people in the seats rather than we want transformed lives. And that becomes a problem in the church when we just say, you know what, just say this prayer, just believe this, and once you're saved, it's done. It's all, don't even worry about anything else. From here on out, you said the prayer, we believe you got saved. And we want it to be that simple, and on some level, it is that simple. We don't want to make salvation hard for anybody. But what James is pointing out is that you can get into religious circles where you emphasize the easy believism type stuff, where all of a sudden you can just say, hey, I believe in God, and think everything is okay, but you're heart and your life is not lining up with your belief. And it happens all the time, especially in religious circles. Kids grow up thinking, you know what, well I, know, I pretty much know what the Bible says is, and there's good people and bad people and Lord knows I ain't one of the bad ones. You know what, and that's what we think. And so we just sort of drift into that idea and we get in this place where we're demonstrating something that's totally different. You know, the book of, the book of Titus, it actually says this, I love this verse, it says, they profess to know God but in works they deny Him. There are people that profess to know God, but in their works they actually deny God being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. So what I'm telling you Christian believers this morning, and I know you ain't going to like this, and I know it doesn't seem tolerant, and I know it doesn't seem kind, but there are many people in our world that profess Christianity and faith in Christ, but by their lifestyle and by their works they actually deny Him. 
And so this is something that we have to be aware of. This is something that maybe even in our own lives we, we need to be aware of that, that James is really trying to get at. He says, look, it's possible to have works and no faith. Like, you know, there are people who they, they, they do works. Maybe they, maybe they go to church or, or maybe if you're, you were Catholic like me growing up, you took your first communion, you went and you... Uh, confess to a priest like maybe even you're such a good person that you give some money away to some people but you have no idea what you actually believe you have no idea who Christ actually is you're not sure about him but you love people and you want to do good works so you've got works but you don't have faith on the other end he says you can have faith but it's not really a true faith and then not have any works like you can say well I believe in God but there's nothing in your life that you're doing no action that signifies that this faith is actually genuine. So James is getting at this reality in the church that, listen, you can't live a life. You can't say that you have faith in Christ, but yet say anything you want to, drink anything you want to, smoke anything you want to, have sex with anybody that you choose to, and say, this is all good. We are Christians. Don't worry about us. We got saved. We said a prayer when we was 12. Amen. Nobody, nobody's feeling good this morning about this, right? Like, we'll, just, we'll work through it, Clay. We'll wait. We'll sit through We love you, buddy. Work through it. Faith is internal. It's what God sees. Nobody can truly see faith except for God because it's something that happens in the heart. But see, our works, they are external, and that is what others see. Our faith is who or what we trust in. Maybe we trust in our own money. Maybe we trust in jobs. Many of us trust in political systems and candidates. Many of us trust in the Republican Party. Like whatever you trust in to fix the world around you and fix your situations, that's what you have your faith in. Your works are different now. Your works is your lifestyle. It's your decision making. It's how you spend your money. It's how you treat people. And all of these deeds make it up. So there's a difference between your faith and your works. But here's the thing. Most everybody in the world knows innately that something is broken in this world. Have you, re have you realized that? Like stuff is messed up. I was, I was telling somebody in the prayer meeting yesterday morning, you know, how that, that, that right now, people, if you ask people, is the world getting worse or is the world getting better, almost everybody says, man, it's getting worse. But if you actually look at it, there are some scientists who have judged it. You base it on technology. You base it on the poverty levels, levels de decreasing. If you base it on medical science and how we've gotten more drinking water to people, the world is actually getting better in that sense. But somehow in our hearts... We don't feel like it's getting better. Mental health is on the plunge. More people on drugs than ever before in history. Hearts broken, people depressed, full of anxiety. So in one sense, things are getting better, but in another sense, in our human hearts, we still know things are really messed up. And if you ask us, we think, no, man, it's getting worse. Something's happening. Something isn't right. And see, the difference is when you have faith in works, right? If you've got faith in something else... Uh, and, and you're a Christian or, or you're not a Christian, the difference is Christians believe that Jesus is the only one that can actually fix this stuff. Other people believe that our works can fix it. They believe that our social justice causes can fix it. They believe that if we get the right political person in office, maybe he can fix it. We put our faith in other things, believing that they can fix these situations. But ultimately, what Christians believe is that only Christ can actually fix this situation. And there's a couple of different types of works that you can even find in, in the Bible. Like, there are, a lot of good, there are a lot of good people. And a lot of people in the world, they have this mentality that, you know what, I'm a good person. I do 
do good works. I'm a philanthropist. I give to people in need. I, I, I go out and I, and, I, and I try to help the poor. I, I, I give my money to help this situation. Or maybe I'm in this social justice cause. Or, or maybe I'm, I'm defending this particular economic ideology that I believe is going to help poverty. And you get in all of these secular works, but ultimately those cannot save you. Those cannot change you. Those won't do anything for you. In religious works, it's the same way because here's the thing. In church, we can often get caught up in religious works, can't we? We think that church attendance, praying and reading our Bible, it's not, it's not, it's not something, this is where religion gets scary. Church attendance, Bible reading, and prayer becomes something that I do in order to earn favors from God or favor from God rather than something that is a, a channel by which I deepen my relationship with God. And so often people get caught up in the church system of doing stuff to earn their salvation or doing stuff to get in favor with God. And he said, no, it's not about what you can do. Your faith is not in you and your ability to earn God's favor. Your faith is in Christ and what he has already done for you. And your faith in him gives you, transfers that favor of God upon your life. And from that position, you begin to do works because you've got a transformed heart. And it's a big difference, and we got to keep these things in order. But see, there are lazy Christians, and lazy Christians prefer lip service over lifestyle. Anybody amen me on that? Like, I remember wanting to be a lazy Christian. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like I said, I remember, I remember passing the doobie with my buddies just saying, you know what, man, here's the thing about God. He just loves all of us. And, 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 and you know, as long as we ain't hurting nobody, man, it's going to be all right. Anybody ever been in that circle? Nobody. Everybody in here is holy. I know. <laughs> Praise God. I've been there, y'all. I've been there. I've had that philosophy in life until I read the Bible. And it told me a different story. And it said that you say that you know God, but in your work, son, you're denying Him. There's no heart change. There's no difference. But it's easy to say something and not necessarily live it, isn't it? This is what James says, verse 14. Let's read through it again. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. And so he's saying this is lip service. Like, if you see somebody that's in need and you say, like if somebody comes to me over in the office one day, and sometimes people do come to me, and they say, man, I'm in a pickle. Can I get some help? And what if, it, what if I just said, you know what? Be warmed. Be filled. You know, I know you need gas. Let your tank be filled, brother. Uh, matter of fact, I'll go out here and lay hands on your tank, okay? Lord, we just pray that this tank get filled. And what he's saying is you can offer lip service, but, but if you don't actually put something behind what you're saying, it's dead in and of itself. It has nothing to it. It's not real. You can say you believe all you want. You can say be warmed and be filled. You can tell your family, I love you, and you can still be a very angry, very mean, non-loving person. It's very easy to say it. It's another thing to live it as a lifestyle. It's even easy for me to preach it. I joke sometimes and tell them. I, I, Matt said something the other day. I said, well, you know, I said, Matt, I preach that stuff. I don't live it. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and I was joking, of course, right? I, I'm doing my best by the grace of God. But if we say something, James is saying that we need to back it up. That it's not just lip service, but it is a lifestyle. So Christianity is both faith and works in the right order. 
Now let's look at how God saves us because God works for us in three different ways. Number one, God works for you, right? And that is that Jesus came. The Father sent His Son and he, Jesus lived a sinless life. He died as a substitute in your place. And you remember, we're going to Good Friday here in like next, next week. And we're centering everything on the cross. Next week I'm going to preach on the cross. That was God's work for you. He loved you so much that he, he committed to an action. He didn't just say, hey, I love you guys. No, when he said, I love you, for God so loved the world that he demonstrated it by an action, sending his son to die in your place. And on the cross, Jesus declared, it is finished. It is done. The work is finished. You don't have to do another work. You don't have to pay another payment. You don't have to offer up another goat. You don't have to attend another church service. You have to put faith in the finished work of what Christ has done for you on the cross and turn to him from your sin and you are saved. He's done this work for you. It's finished. You need not add another thing to it, praise God. Amen. But see, it doesn't stop there because now that he's done this work for you, he now wants to do a work in you. Because when Jesus then ascended on high, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to regenerate you. He's going to take what was a dead spirit on the inside of you and bring it to life. And you're going to be resurrected on the inside. And I'm going to give you a new heart and a new mind. And I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep them. Not because you try real hard, but because you've got a new nature and you're a new creation. And the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. So he's, doing a work, he's done a work for you, he's doing a work in you, and now he wants to do a work through you where that Holy Spirit actually comes and empowers you to live a different life and to demonstrate good works to a broken world so that they know that there's a God in, in the earth. It says, let your, let your work so shine before men that your Father in heaven will be glorified. And they'll say, man, look at what God's doing in and through this person. And so there's an order of salvation. You know, this is something that we... That, that we talk about a lot because, because everybody thinks of salvation in terms of, well, we got, I got saved when I was 10 years old. Well, what you're talking about is one aspect of salvation. You're talking about putting faith in Christ and receiving justification. But salvation is a much broader concept in the Bible. You are saved from the penalty of sin and you are justified by faith in Christ as soon as you believe. But then you are being saved from the power of sin, and the Holy Spirit is sanctifying you, making you more like Christ in this process. And one day you will see Jesus face to face, and you will be glorified, and you will be saved from the presence of sin completely, and it will be no longer in your system. Amen. And this is a process. It's a journey that we're on. You cannot look at salvation as simply something that happened to you. You need to look at, at salvation as something that happened to you, something that is happening to you, and something that will happen to you. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to save all of us. I'm on a journey and that means that I can't look back and say I got saved and then excuse my bad behavior now because I said a prayer at a church service one time. No, this is a daily walk with the Lord. It ain't about whether you said a prayer 10 years ago. It's about the prayer you're saying today. Amen. Now, 10 years ago, or whenever it was 15 years ago, I was justified before God. That means that I was declared righteous in a moment of time. I confessed Jesus as Lord, and I meant it with my heart. I believed that He was raised from the dead, and that faith, that transfer, guess what? He transferred righteousness to me, and I hadn't even done anything good yet. 
I hadn't even done anything to earn it yet. And he said, that boy is righteous. Were he to stand before God right now, he'd be cleansed. There'd be no sin to judge. He would be washed, and he would look like I'm looking at Jesus Christ when I judged him, the Father would say. And that's a beautiful gift. Righteousness is something that's transferred when you believe. But guess what? When that gets imparted to you, there's something else that gets imparted with justification. He's called the Holy Spirit. And if he's in there, the stuff you used to want, you don't want no more. Something changes. Doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. You're going to struggle. You still got flesh to battle just like the rest of it. That's why the scripture unfolds and unpackages that and says, look, whenever you're walking, you need to learn to walk in the Spirit in order to put to death the deeds of the flesh. This is an ongoing process. Ain't nobody perfect. And that's the good news about justification. I can stand before God and don't need to be perfect right now because Jesus was perfect in my place. So he's not saying, well, you do a little bit better. Maybe you can get in here to heaven. He's not saying that. He said, I've done it for you. I did the perfect work, and it's in your way, but we're, it, and I've done this for you, but now there's this process, and I'm trying to bring you through it. But see, God, he doesn't need your works, but your neighbor does need your works. God don't need your works. He don't need your works to save you. He's already done the work on the cross. But your neighbor needs your works, and God needs you to allow those works to flow through you so that it demonstrates to the world that there is a God in heaven who loves them. And so he goes on to say, here's the thing. We can say a lot of things, but love's, love is sometimes what we say. Love is sometimes what we feel, but is, it is above all what we do. And so here's what he says in James 2. He says, someone will say, you have faith, verse 18. You have faith and I have works. He says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. He said, you believe that God is one, you do well. I'm going to start saying this to people when people say something. You do well. And then say like a little witty remark. You know what I'm saying? That's what James did. You, you say, hey, you say that you believe God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Even the demons believe and they tremble. I mean, that word right there, in and of, I could have that, taken that verse and just preached all day. But I ain't got that time, much time spent in the book of James. You know what I'm saying? But here's the thing. Demons, you, you got to ask yourself, is your faith actually real faith or is it demonic faith? People have demonic faith. And that sounds crazy, doesn't it? It's like, gosh, Clay, are you going to say that this morning? See, the problem with demons is that they believe, but they do not behave. It's not enough to believe in God or believe that there is a God. You need to know that God and you need to love that God and have a personal relationship with that God. Christianity is not mental assent or agreement with an idea. This is why it can sometimes be dangerous even in like, you know, we give altar calls. We want people to come forward and pray. And I'll just be honest with you, I have seen people make a true, genuine confession, come to an altar and pray, and not just experience conversion, but experience a radical encounter with God where everything was changed. So I will never negate the fact that people need to respond to the preached gospel message. I believe they do. I don't think that everybody that does respond becomes saved and is a convert. I don't think just because you raise your hand and you say a prayer means that you are converted to Jesus Christ. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it don't. I don't know the mystery behind that. I don't understand it all, but he's saying that it is possible to say that you believe and have a demonic faith because you actually don't change on the inside. And so demons' problems are not mental, they're willful problems. Their problem is not information, 
but internal rebellion. And this is the problem because, you know, Christians can have a ton of information. We can know the Bible backward and forward. And this is probably the most dangerous form of Christianity that there is, is that people have all the information. They know the Bible. They can quote Scripture, but their heart has not been changed by it. And so they can say amen to everything that is being preached on a regular basis, but it never brings them into their own personal relationship with Jesus Christ where they have turned from sin and been born again by the Spirit of God. And so this is what he's saying. In Mark 1.34, notice this, talking about the demons. It says, then Jesus would not permit the demons to speak. Why? Because they knew him. In Luke 4.33, it says, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. I mean, the demons made a faith confession. That's what, that's, that's what all the preachers are having people respond to and say, if you just confess this, my brother. Luke 4.41, it says, Demons also came out of many crying, You are the Son of God. But He rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that He was the Christ. There is a difference between Jesus is God and Jesus is my Lord. There's a difference between Jesus being God and you believing that and then Jesus becoming Lord of your life. And you know, we, 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 we like to package things really, really nicely and neatly in the Christian walk. And like I said, you know, on Easter, we're just going to present the gospel and say, hey, just raise your hand. Jesus says only believe, and you just believe. And, and we want it to be that simple. But James is saying, yeah, it, it is that simple to a degree. For many people, that's the entrance point, and there's real transformation. He said, but we, got, we have to pay attention to what's going on because there are some people that have not yet truly received Christ, but they're convinced that they have. And that can be a dangerous thing that he's saying. So he's giving this warning out of love. But see, Jesus is not just God, but he is Savior from sin, and he is the Lord over our life. You know in Romans 10, whenever we say it, we say it to people all the time, Romans 10, 9, it says, Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, and you shall be saved. But do you know that he says that, and he means it? It doesn't mean that you can lie about it. If you confess that Jesus is Lord, that doesn't mean that you can just say it as like you say abracadabra and then poof, as if it's some kind of token by that by saying it. No, when you confess Jesus is Lord, he's saying that from your heart, out of your mouth is coming this confession where you're saying, no, Jesus is now my decision maker. Jesus is now the man that I'm submitting my life to. I don't make my choices anymore. I realize that he's king of kings, lord of lords, that he is creation over all. He's the one that gave me breath in my lungs. And I'm now bowing down and laying down my life and saying, you get to make all my decisions. You are lord of my life. And when you confess that and mean it in your heart and believe that he was raised from the dead for you, he says, in that moment you are saved. The Holy Spirit does this work in your heart. It's the Holy Spirit who creates this faith. It's the Holy Spirit who allows us to repent and we come into agreement and surrender our will to that moment. See, the demon's problem is not mental, it's willful. They know everything. Matter of fact, if you get in an argument with a demon about Scripture, most likely he's going to win. Amen. Regina got me over here. If you get into an argument with a demon about Scripture, that demon will probably beat you. They know more Scripture than you do. They know how to use it effectively. They know how to twist it. They know how to get you to tie, be tied up in legalism. And, so, and here's the thing. I might back off this message because the thing that I don't want is to get us into the place where you feel like you need to go out and do more in order to be saved. 
That's, and this is where it's tough, isn't it? It's like, man, this is kind of confusing. This scripture, actually, that I just read is one of the most hotly debated scriptures throughout the history of the church. And we'll get into why that it is here in just a second. But here's what my man uh, Rich Viotis says. He says, The challenge with making a decision for Christ's language is found in the truth that this decision is often transactional but not formational. So we, we treat salvation as if it's something that if you just say this prayer, God gives you salvation, boom, done, transaction made. Just like you give, so you give somebody your card, you buy something, boom, it's there, it's yours. And here's what he says. To make a decision for Christ requires subsequent ongoing decisions for love, compassion, justice, truth, and humility. What he's saying is, is that when you make that initial decision for Christ, you respond, you repent, you put faith in Christ, you ain't done a good work yet in your life. You don't deserve anything, but guess what? You can be born again in that moment, forgiven of your sins, and receive and inherit eternal life in that moment. But he says becoming a Christian means that the next week when you come back, you make another decision for Christ. Because he's revealing greater things. In You're not getting re-saved. Don't ever get me wrong on this. You're not getting re-saved. We don't, we don't believe in that, right? You're not coming back to an altar to get re-saved. When you're saved, right, when you, when you turn to God, you're going to have some ups and downs. You're going you're gonna to struggle sometimes. You're going to have some failures. You're going to have some weaknesses. You don't come back to an altar to get re-saved. You come to the Lord, confess your sin, realize that the blood of, of Jesus cleanses you from all sin, and you enter back into fellowship with Him. But you continue day by day to make decisions for God because this is an ongoing relationship. It's an ongoing relationship. Amen. So a deeply loving relationship change a deeply loving relationship changes how you live your life. That's the gospel. In James uh, chapter two verse twenty, he says this. He says, "Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works?" When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works. When she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. You know, Jesus gave a litmus test on this. He said, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. By their fruit, you will recognize them. He's saying, you'll be able to tell whether or not this person actually has me living in them by the fruit that they begin to bear in their lives. And... Here's, here's the thing. Faith is a Holy Spirit-empowered internal devotion to God. It's an internal devotion. But that produces an external devotion to God in works and fruit. What I need you to understand is that faith is the root and works are the fruit. In your heart, when you believe, it's something that some people can't even see. They don't know if you're a believer or not, but guess what? God knows. And when He knows, based on that faith, you are saved. I don't care if you've not done a good work in your life. I don't care if you, steal, if you come up and the last thing you did was slap somebody right in the face. You know what I'm talking about? Like, 
In that moment, when God sees faith in the heart and it's in Christ, salvation is given to you. You are declared righteous. And, 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 you don't ha- and if you wake up and you're struggling the next day, you don't have to come and get re-saved. You have to remember who you are in Christ now that you're a new creation and learn to follow the Holy Spirit. And as you learn to follow the Holy Spirit, the root of true faith in your heart produces the fruit of good works on the outside. And what he's saying is, look, if you say that you're saved... And five years go by, ten years go by, and you're doing the same exact things that you did before you got saved, you may want to check what's going on in your heart. That's the point that he's trying to make. And so he, he gets into this and he talks about Abraham. If you remember the story of Abraham, he's given a promise. And he basically says, look, Abraham, God says, look, Abraham, I'm going to give you a boy. He's 75 years old. He ain't yet had a son. Okay. And he says, I'm going to give you a boy, and through this son, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Basically, Christ is going to come through your line, and everybody's going to be blessed through it. And then here's the crazy thing, is that he's waiting on this promise. And he says, the scripture says, he believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. But what James is saying, in that moment before he took a step, he believed God, God accounted it to him for righteousness. But guess what happened after that? After that moment, he took a step. He left his family not knowing where he was going because he was following God. He made an action. And then he goes to the point where he is, now he's had his son. And he's had his son and God says, I want you to take your son up there. And I want you to sacrifice him at the place that I show you. And to me, I'm thinking, that's crazy, God. Why do you want to do that? It wasn't that God wanted him to sacrifice his son. It was that God was trying to show him the story of the gospel and the fact that one day God was going to sacrifice his very own son. It wasn't that God's crazy and sometimes he likes child sacrifice. It's that God was taking him to the place where he would get a revelation of the gospel. So guess what? Abraham has an act of faith. He acts upon that faith. He says, son, we got to go. And that... Abraham's son Isaac takes the wood on his back, which is a picture of the cross that Jesus Christ would carry. And he begins to walk up Mount Moriah, the place where the temple would be built, very near where where, where Jesus himself would be crucified. And here's the thing, by this time, Isaac is probably my age. He could have whooped his dad's hind end. But what it is, is that Isaac, by faith, is willing to trust God as well. And what is he willing to do? He's willing to be obedient to his father the same way that Jesus was and say, you know what, God, Father, if this is what you're asking me to do, then I will lay down my life willingly. He does it. Isaac lays down his life willingly. Abraham, about a 125-year-old man. I mean, if I I was 35, my dad was 125, and he said, son, we're going to go up here, I'm going to kill you. I'd be like, you got it to do, Dad. You know what I'm talking about? Come on. You know what I'm saying? Like, and they get up there, but it's a picture. And what happens is, is that Isaac is sitting there, and as Abraham lifts his hand to kill him, in an action, in an obedient action, the messenger of the Lord shows up. That's Jesus Christ. In the, in the, in the, in the Scripture, it's the angel of the Lord. It's the messenger. It's a, it's a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus Christ. And he says, stop. And then he shows him the ram in the thicket, and he says, Calls him there, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide because he's saying, look, you don't have to take the death that you deserve because I'm going to die in your place and I'm going to provide a sacrifice of my very own self many years from now and I'm going to come through your line and I'm going to do this here. And he's saying, look, you see that Abraham, when he believed it was counted to him for righteousness, but that faith produced action in his life. 
And then he goes on to give another description, and he talks about Rahab. And you, you remember the story of Rahab, and this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Because this woman is a prostitute hanging out in the walls of the most wicked city in the known world at that time, Jericho. In Jericho, they had bestiality. There was all kinds of perversion, oftentimes public perversion. A lot like how America's going right now. And they had the public burning of their children to the god Molech. They did this publicly. And so God says, I'm going to bring judgment on them. And I'm going to send my people in there and we're going to bring judgment. And you're going to take over that land. And when he sends in spies, they go into the wall. And listen, Rahab is a woman that had experienced, it'd been like, it'd been like modern day sex trafficking untelling what this woman been through, the kind of abuse she had experienced. But she was a, a prostitute. It says it right there in the Scripture. I'm like, you know, if I was writing the Bible, James, I would have just left the prostitute thing out because, you know, it's, it's just not nice. And we don't need to bring that up about her. But I believe that what God is trying to say is, look, you can, act, you can be a prostitute in the morning and you can be a hero of faith in the afternoon because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And that's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. And he says, so Rahab sees them come in and she says, look, we've heard the stories about your God. We believe your God is the one true God. So all I'm asking is that you'll show me and my family kindness. And she uses the Hebrew word for grace. She said, I just want y'all to come in here and show me grace. And that is the picture of the gospel, that we're literally bound in these walls to our own sin but there's a faith that says, would you show me grace because I know I am deserving of God's judgment. But when you come in here, will you save me and let me live? And I'm, and I'm, I'm willing that if you come in here and bring judgment, if you'll let me live, you can tear down every wall in my life that I've built up against you. And guess what? They come in there and they tear down those walls and Rahab becomes a hero of faith because she acted upon what she believed in God. She kept the men of God. She protected them. And she becomes a hero of faith in Hebrews 11 because of her action that was mixed with her faith. She didn't just simply say, look, I believe, I believe y'all. I believe that God's real, but y'all need to get out of here because I'm scared. Now she acted upon what was going on in her heart. And that's what he's saying, that if you've got real, genuine faith, it's going to produce something in you. Now here's the thing. I'm going to finish up right here in just a minute, but here's the thing. People will say, and scholars will argue, they'll say, well, you know, faith in, in, in works in James contradicts faith in, in Paul. And, they, and the Bible contradicts itself. Can I tell you that if you actually study the Bible, what you're going to find out is that the Bible never actually contradicts itself. It complements itself. And so you say, well, is it faith or is it works? And the answer is yes. And I'll tell you why it's yes. Because they are, they are addressing different issues. There's times when a person comes into the church and they need to address specific issues based on where that particular group of people is at. Jesus addressed seven churches in the book of Revelation. He had a different message for each one. So James is addressing a different issue than Paul was addressing when he was writing on a lot of situations. But here's, here's what people think. You put that next slide up here. Here's what people think. If you, is there a next slide? Uh, now, put the one up there that says faith in Christ plus works equals justification. There you go. So here's what people think. The first one is people think that James is saying this. Faith in Christ plus works equals justification. Now, sometimes Catholics believe this. And this is why, like, if you, are, if you were a Catholic or you are a Catholic, I ain't trying to offend you. I was too. I got family that are Catholics. But generally what Catholics teach is that you put your faith in Christ, and if you do enough good works you might make it into heaven. 
Can I tell you this is wrong? It's not biblical. And this is why the Reformation happened in the 1500s with Martin Luther because he was a Catholic monk working himself to death trying to get into heaven, trying to make it. Because even Catholics will teach that, look, if you don't do enough good works when you die, instead of going to heaven, you'll go to purgatory where you work it off in order to get into heaven. Can I tell you that that is not right? There is no purgatory. There's heaven, there's hell. Faith in Christ gets you into heaven. No faith in Christ gets you into hell. Amen. It's cut and dry this morning, right? Being kind. All right, so faith in Christ plus works equals justification. And that's not right, that's, but they're thinking this is what James is saying, but this is not what James is saying. On the other side, some people will say this. They say, well, this is what Paul's saying. Faith in Christ equals justification minus works. Basically, they're saying, well, all you got to do is believe in Jesus. Well, what about, what about the fact that they're still out here doing all this crazy stuff, and they, they hate people, and they, that dude got to fight the other night. He got drunk and dog and beat somebody half to death, and he just he got no conviction, don't care. He just cusses everybody out all the time. And he say, well, he's saved, you know. I mean, he said the prayer. Wrong. Amen. Like, it's funny you even got to preach this stuff. I mean, amen. So, so, so here's the thing. James says this on justification. In James 2.17, he says, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 2.20, he says, Faith apart from works is useless. 2.26, he says, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So the fear is that James is saying, no, you've got you to add works to your faith in order to be justified. And then Paul says this in Romans 3.28. He says, one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. He says in Romans 5.1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Galatians 2.16, he says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And if you read both of those things, could you not see how somebody would say, Man, these two are just like not on the same page. They're not getting it together. But here is the reality of this. And... And, you know, Charles Spurgeon, he said this. He said, they asked him, how do you reconcile these scriptures that don't seem to agree? And he said, James and Paul are friends. You don't need to reconcile friends. If something looks like a contradiction in the Bible, you need to keep studying because ultimately they, they complement one another. And here's the last one. Put that other slide back up there. The last one is the right one that I had on there with the green at the bottom. Yes, faith in Christ equals justification plus works. Your faith in Jesus Christ justifies you. You are declared righteous as if you had never sinned. It's a beautiful thing. But see, once you are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, once you are saved, it produces something on the inside of you where you become zealous for good works. You desire to please God. You want to fellowship with believers. You want to worship God. You want to start reading your Bible. You want to be a generous person. You want to start giving. You want to evangelize. You want to reach people with the gospel. And the closer you grow in your sanctification to Jesus, the more you see these fruitful works manifesting in your life. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. We're all growing, and maybe some of us see more works and more fruit than others in our life. But see, when you are saved, there's a conviction. There's a desire for change. There's a desire to be with God. You 
start to see something happening in your heart. By no means are any of us perfect. We still got a long way to go. Amen. So this is not a word. I don't think that James was wanting you to question your performance. And the last thing I would want you to do if you're a true Christian is to leave here today and say, well, huh, I don't know if I'm saved or not. You know, I don't want you leaving church all the time thinking about whether or not you're saved and doubting your salvation. But there is a moment and there is a time where we do evaluate our lives and say, where am I at with God? Have I, have I really experienced this transformation? Have I really experienced God doing this work in my life? Or did I just simply say a prayer? Like, like we want to know that, don't we? I wanted to know that. Because if you'd asked me when I was 17 years old, despite all the things I were doing, if you said, hey man... You know the Lord? I said, absolutely. Saved, brother. And the truth was is that I wasn't. I didn't have a relationship with God. And if you just looked at my works, it was abundantly clear. If you just looked at what was going on in my heart, it was abundantly clear. Now, God changed my life, and still to this day, I still got some rough edges. And there are times you get around me, you, you wonder if I'm saved. You know what I'm talking about? Be like, I don't know if he's saved or not. Got a bad attitude, especially Andrea. Sometimes she's wondering. She, she's like, let me, let me lead you in the Lord's Prayer right here, right quickly. So I get it. I'm not trying to put a burden on you this morning where you're, where you're beat down and worried about your performance before God because I thank the living God that when I struggle and when I mess up, I can come before Him and say, Lord, I stand here this morning not on my own works. I stand here this morning worshiping you because you paid the price and you have washed me in your blood and you alone have made me righteous. You have saved me. And I don't have to worry about losing this position that I have with you because it's a work that you've done. But God, I want to walk with you in this. And I want you to produce this fruit in my life. And I want to continue to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling because you are working something in me. And so we want to take that evaluation and, 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 and work through that and pay attention to what the Scripture says. Here's the last verse that I want to read, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. This really nails it down. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's God's work for you. He said, For we are His workmanship. That's God's work in you. And we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's God's work through you. So you are not saved by your works, but you are saved unto good works. And he says, now that you recognize what Jesus has done for you and that he's brought transformation in your heart, you should be zealous as a body of Christ to maintain good works. Because if you know what Jesus has done on the inside of you, you need to let somebody know on the outside of you. And that's the point that James is trying to make. He says, what good is it, boys, if you're going to church and worshiping the Lord and you've got a brother in need and you just look at him and say, hey, we believe in God, brother, be warm, be filled. He said, no, you need to let what's on the inside of you start to come out and demonstrate this faith in a practical way where you're living it out in front of people and they're giving glory to God because they see that God has done this work in your life. See, James, James knew that there was a bunch of religious Jewish people who knew the Bible backward and forward, but they were lukewarm. They'd come to church on Sunday and 
go through the motions, but ultimately there was no major transformation in their life. And he was getting to them and saying, boys, I know you know this thing. I know you know the scriptures, but listen, you've got to start living this thing out. And then Paul knew that there was a group of people who didn't even believe in God at all. And what they were thinking is that they could be a good enough person to make it into heaven. And he was saying, there ain't no way you're ever going to be a good enough person to make it into heaven. The only way you're making it and you're going to have a relationship with God the Father is through faith in Christ alone. But now both of these men are bringing it together and saying, you're saved by grace through faith, not of works lest any man should boast, but get what we are God's workmanship now. And he, is, he has made us and created us so that now that we have been saved, we can live out good works in this world around us. Amen. Won't you bow your heads with me this morning? It's kind of a doctrinal message this morning, but it's important because it's, it's about what salvation really is at its heart. It's a work that God does for us. But then when He starts it and we receive it, He starts to do a work in us and through us. And it's an ongoing thing. But in this moment, if you've never given your life to Jesus and you've never confessed Him as Lord and truly submitted your life to Him as Lord. That's what the Bible says. It says, look, if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, the one who's in control, the one who's leader, and you believe that He was raised from the dead for the justification of your sins after He died on the cross, He said, then you will be saved. And that's where it begins. It's just like the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross is hanging there beside Jesus, they're about to die together. And he looks at him and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What Jesus didn't say was, well, you don't have enough work stacked up to make it in yet, buddy. What he didn't say is, well, you need to be baptized first. No, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Why? He saw the faith in that man's heart in a moment of time. And if the Holy Spirit's created that faith in your heart and you're ready to respond to the Lord with that faith, I want you to just raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to give my life.